Welcome, cutie bums. This is Me, Myself, and Millie, a podcast about pop culture and hot gossip through the lens of your nosy neighbor. I'm your host, Millie Brooks, and this is episode 29. And today we are talking to acclaimed playwright, Kate Atwell, about her fertility journey. Uh, But before we get to that, For episode 32, which will air in June, we are going to do an episode about the book Waiting for Daisy by Peggy Ornstein. It's an absolute gripping memoir of one woman's quest for a baby, and that whole episode will be essentially a review of that book. So if you want to read along, grab your copy of Waiting for Daisy today. Before we launch into the interview with Kate, just a friendly reminder to rate and review the episode. Yes, you! You, the person who has not written a review yet. It just takes two minutes, and it really helps the show. I can't tell you how much it um, it affects the algorithms. It affects, you know, new bringing new traffic and um, new listeners to the show. So it really goes a long way. So thanks for your support. Um, I wanted to give you a little bit of backstory about how I know Kate before we launch into the interview. Um, I had the absolute pledge of doing one of Kate Atwell's plays at ACT about six months ago. Um, It was a new play. Um, It was all about gender, colonialism, British imperialism, sports, politics, all through the lens of the game of cricket. Um, And it was a fabulous experience and... Honestly, I'll treasure it for the rest of my life. And so that's how I met Kate. Okay, let's get to the interview. We are here with Kate Atwell calling us all the way from London. Welcome, Kate. Hi, Millie. How are you spending your days right now? (laughs) Um, probably very similarly to how you're spending your days right now I had two productions canceled and a film shoot Um, and I was I was I know I was really like ramping up to this kind of horrifically busy couple months um that now I'm I'm not having that at all it's you know it's got its its blessings obviously and its frustrations I am really <laughs> like doing some reading, doing yeah. some yoga. Um, I'm going for my one exercise of the day that I'm permitted now, at least until they, they change that possibly. Mm-hmm. Um, again, you know, so I feel like there's, there's something like having a bit of rest time. And then also sometimes that just gets a bit uh, overwhelming too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you were sort of on a, a fast train there for a while and now the train has completely come to a halt train is stopped running we're all disembarking right now <laughs> disembarking with masks 
totally, totally, <laughs> carefully, carefully, carefully. Oh my um, gosh! You know, yeah, yeah. It's such a weird time, isn't it? It's just like I do feel. I do feel this sense of suspension and I feel like I wonder what it's going to be like on the other side. I wonder what theater will be like. I don't really see any way in which this cannot radically change it in a lot of ways. Um, some ways maybe in the long term and sometimes in the short term. Think about that too. Are we like not be touchy people anymore? Like, are we, like, are we not going to be, I mean, hugs were always kind of a questionable thing right now. You know, like, you got to ask for permission for a hug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to really even know that you can definitely be on hugging terms. It's definitely, I still find it strange when someone up and hugs you from, from <laughs> zero to hug. Not in a bad way, but it's just my shyness is so not that vibe. So I'm always like, wow. Why? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But now I'm yeah. like, maybe this is going to solve the problem. Nobody's going to want to know what's going to do it. <laughs> well, on that note, let's jump yeah. into fertility. Let's talk about fertility. <laughs> let's talk about fertility. Um, Tell right. everyone um, a little bit about who you are and um tell us a little bit about your partner sure um so i am a playwright and screenwriter and other kinds of events writer i guess um theater maker in general um and i lived in the states for a long time these days i do live this kind of well not these actual days but i was living this very transient back in the uk and america now I'm just just here as we all are in place at home um and my partner Paula is a graphic designer she does a lot of uh like apps and really digital things and so really our like work worlds uh well I guess there's there's a kind of uh construction of things and artistry they're they're very kind of distinct and separate which I really really like um yeah and we met we met on tinder Oh, I love it. I love I know. it. It was my first ever Tinder date. <gasps> I, I know. I know. A success. What a success. Like, that's a hit for Tinder, I think. Um, <laughs> yes. That's a hit. That's a win. I hadn't done that before. And I, I basically, I had come back here uh, after, after the Trump election. And I was kind of feeling out what it would be like to come, to come here. Because honestly, truthfully, America was just feeling kind of desperate and especially as you know an immigrant and and I, I say that as you know a completely kind of privileged end of immigrant in America it just didn't feel good mm-hmm. um so I was feeling it out and that led me to to wondering what tinder would be like in England and here we are um wow. we've got so we and we each came with a pet which I think this is really what sealed the deal Paula's cat is named donut and my mm-hmm. dog was named pancake oh. And oh my god! We each other, and they're both like these beautiful little ginger creatures. Oh my gosh! So like, I, I had no idea that that's how you acquired two pets. Oh yeah, we brought them together and we forced them to be friends. And Pancake used to be a bit of a, ch- a cat chaser, um, and then he had to have a leg operation. Oh. And I know, but though it was good ultimately because now it's all fixed, but 
there was like a solid six week period where he was kind of just lying in his bed and couldn't do anything. And that like meant that Donut could kind of start sidling up to him and snuggling a bit with him. And they became like fast friends. It's really quite adorable. Oh, that is so precious. So how long have you and Paula been together? So it's been, it's been like three years now, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. So walk us through your journey up to this point. You started having the conversation about wanting to have a child. Yeah. Um, well, I guess for both of us, that, that definitely was something we talked about fairly soon and fairly quickly. And I think just because that's something we both knew we really, really wanted. So if that was going to be something, you know, wasn't on the table for the other person, it was probably a conversation that we needed to be having and addressing, you know, pretty quickly and pretty upfront. Um, yep. I think that kind of came up as something we both knew we wanted. And, you know, we hadn't been together that long. I think we'd been together about a year, really, when we first went to kind of, we went to like an open day sort of to find out what would be our options as a thing. What is it oh. called? Oh, I said an open day, but maybe you don't have that. Like, I don't think we do. Like a, like a, um, you know, like a morning, a coffee morning where you can all kind of come and they're going to be little seminars and ways you can learn oh. about the various things. Like a free like event. Like a free event. Thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we went along to that um, and, you know, learned a ton, most of which was learning like everything that we didn't know about fertility. And, you know, and I'm sure you can attest to this. Well, you know, I just, this whole process has been me realizing, like, I had no clue, you know, like, actually no clue, you know, how complicated it is and how many, certainly how many options there then are if it is complicated for you. And also, I mean, I, I spent, I spent the whole of my twenties thinking that if one sperm accidentally (laughs) got inside me, I was pregnant. You yeah, know, like absolutely. Yeah. That's how I felt about it. That's what I'd been taught. And that's what I assumed to be the truth. You know, it was like one tiny screw up and yeah. uh, you're going to be pregnant. Yeah. Um, and like, it, you know, I just feel like that's drilled into people's minds. Totally. Like the moment you have unprotected sex, you're pregnant. It, you're, you're pregnant yeah. You know? Yeah. That is like absolutely what I felt, what I always, you know, worried about with male partners um, and, you know, believed up until the point of, of starting this journey, really. Like, I just didn't have any clue how, mm-hmm. how difficult it was and, and what a, you know, relatively low chance you actually have of getting pregnant in terms of all the kind of factors that have to play into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was really interesting, but, 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 so yeah, we went, we went along and, uh, and learned a ton and learned about, you know, IUI, IVF, I right. That's the other one where they I, would really flatten it and put it into the egg. You know what I'm talking about? No, like, I haven't heard that one. Oh, okay. So there was, so basically the way they talked about it is that there's, there's regular, there's your standard IVF, which is you know, sort of putting the egg and the sperm in like the Petri dish or wherever they put it and hoping that they connect up and, and fertilize. And then if that doesn't work, they can kind of go a step further, which is where they, I'm probably going to get, so I'm, so I'm not a doctor. So in my mind, I want to remember them explaining it. Um, they flatten the sperm's tail. Like yes. with a hammer? 
you're like a tiny hammer. <laughs> and then they're going to like poke him right into the egg if he won't oh. do it by himself. Oh, Ixy. I think oh, that's what you guys call it? Okay. I, yeah, Great. I think we call it Ixy. And they just, and they take something and they actually inject it right into yes. Yes. the egg. Um, anyway, so we left to go away. Big question of uh what sperm are we going to use and where are we going to get that from and what is that going to look like and and i think uh that definitely for both of us you know just kept being more complicated and more nuanced than we sort of ever imagined you know um, as of course it always is and always was um but to to find that right place of feeling what what, what feels like the right decision to make um, that process took us about a year, to be honest. So, wow. And that was yeah. just the whole process of choosing. Just deciding. Um, yeah. So, so, so what we did, um, the UK has, uh, AGFA, the sort of governing body for fertility treatment. If you're going to use any kind of, whether you're a same couple or a straight couple, if you're going to use any kind of donor, uh, sperm or egg, you have to, it's mandatory that you also have a couple counseling sessions that are likely. Um, but to just talk to you and your partner about that. I would appreciate that. Yeah, it's really, I think it's great. And, um, and, 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 you know, Paul and I definitely went along to a couple being like, we're, we're people, we've had therapy, like we talk to each other, we're fine about this. Um, but just to have it with that particular focus was super useful um, and the counselor that we saw, you know, she, she kind of ultimately, you know, we had a great conversation and, and I think where we sort of landed it was that she was like, you know, you guys, you just have to find the thing that feels comfortable to you. And if it feels comfortable, that comfort, that ease, be what you pass on between you. Right. But if there's a friction, if there's a tension, if there's a, Oh, I'm not sure if this is the right thing. Um, those are going to become bigger and bigger and kind of snowball, you know, in this particular situation. And was she talking specifically about just the gut feeling that you have about each donor or even just do de- making de- the decision to choose, you know, a donor? Well, both kind of, I guess. So, you know, what we were really weighing in the beginning was, did we want to try to find someone we know? Or did we want to use an unknown donor? And then the second piece of, of what was, really complicated about all this and for for me certainly um I, I don't know I just I I was kind of nervous at first about the idea of an anonymous donor like that just stressed me out I felt you know I I love my partner and I want this to be you know if it can't be genetically both of ours I want to feel like I know what that second piece of the puzzle is somehow mm-hmm. and um we kind of thought through honestly so much about like what friends do we have who's in our community like what could that look like um and and really wrung out that possibility it was was made complicated by um who's a known donor in the uk this is really different in america which led us to possibly consider trying in america at one point but in the uk the sperm will have to be put through this really intensive um screening process that will take about nine months because they want to freeze it for six months wake it back up see if it's still good and swimming enough freeze it again you know so they sort of do Mm -hmm. tests on on the man all of that kind of thing has to happen 
And so that was a bit of a spanner for us. We thought, oh, but maybe worth it if that's what we really want. Ultimately, um, you know, we went to we went to see a family lawyer here. Uh, and what we learned from that is that if you do the procedure through a clinic with donor sperm, it's like all the legalities have kind of been taken care of for you already, right? They've all been really sorted out and it's a court order. So it's absolute sort of legal, finite, concrete, you know, ruling, whatever. Yeah. So, so anyway, so that I guess is what ultimately led us, led us to wanting to use, uh, an, an anonymous donor from a sperm bank, which just meant that the legalities are all kind of pre-tied up for us. Yes. Mm-hmm. And did if you used a known donor, would you have to put that person's name on the birth certificate? Well, no, no, not necessarily, right? And again, so it's all really nuanced and complicated. Like where you are in California, if the donor sperm is processed through a clinic, then that donor will can again legally sort of sign away all of their rights. Uh, to that child, pass them over to you, all of that kind of thing can be taken care of. If you do it at home, all of that is a lot more complicated, yeah. Mm. Uh, I can't say I know specifically if you are choosing, I don't, you definitely can't put someone, I couldn't put Paula on the birth certificate of the child uh, if we weren't married and uh, we had done it at home. That's Mm. for sure. Yeah. Okay, got it. Um, wow. So where are you right now? Like, have you chosen a donor? Like, what is that process like? Yeah. Well, where are we? A magazine of I, like... I wish you got a magazine. I literally <laughs> wish. Like, what we've got here is honestly one of the kind of most janky websites that I've ever encountered. But hey, <laughs> like, you work with what you've got. Um, but there are so many sperm banks. We, we've chosen to go with one uh, because it's London-based. It just makes it all a bit easier. So uh, the UK as well has a lot more stricter regulations on on sperm donors than in the States and then in other places, other parts of Europe. Um, Like a lot of people kind of go to Denmark or Sweden to do this because it's a little bit freer and easier there. Mm. Um, But we're being funded by the NHS for our process, which is amazing. So that's why we kind of are staying here to do it. Um, But so... Yeah, so we, we've done two unsuccessful IUIs, um, and uh, we used the same donor for both of those that we chose, and we're kind of thinking we're going to switch him up next time. You know, we're like, he's not working for us. Maybe we'll uh, we'll go somewhere else, find someone else. It's it's very it's a very strange thing to do, but yeah, so, so here you don't get um, any photos. I know in the States you can see baby photos and sometimes you can see adult photos too. Here you don't get any photos. What you get is like a little paragraph that a nurse has written as like an impression of this person. Um, You get a number of kind of physical, uh, you get like height, weight, eye color, skin color. Uh, You get religious information, which I kind of find sort of fascinating as something Mm -hmm. to include when you're including such a amount of information. Yeah. Um, yeah, you get their their occupation kind of vaguely and, and little things like, do they have a degree? Um, so it's sort of been a detective game, to be honest, and, and really what we've always sort of striven for 
it's just mm-hmm. finding that sense of, of comfort. So um, I guess the other thing, I think this is the same in, in the States as well, but in the UK, um, the child has the right when they're 18 to find out the identity of their donor mm. uh, and any possible half siblings that they might have as well. Um, they can reach out to the database to, to, to say like, I am a, you know, I was conceived through using donor sperm. I'm interested in knowing if I have siblings. And then if any other siblings have also done that, they can be connected. But if your child say decides they don't want to do that, they can't be connected. So both all parties have to kind of come forward, which I think is quite nice. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so in the same way, the donor can't contact your child, but if your child decides when they're 18 that they do want to find out who that person is, they can go and do that, which I think is nice. And so ultimately what I think a lot of our decision has kind of revolved around, um, apart from like a vague vanity thing of trying to like figure out whether or not this person is attractive, maybe, because that feels kind of important. (laughs) (laughs) And you're trying to like, figure out you're like what is this nurse saying like does she like a broad nose um (laughs) (laughs) yes you know they they really will they'll be like he has a slim smile and high forehead and you're like what does that mean what does it mean nurse um oh my gosh I'm so high I've also known couples to want to choose a donor similar to like with similar background partner. Yeah. You know, like we've debated so many of those things. And for us, that doesn't feel super important. Mm -hmm. Um, There's like maybe, I mean, I'm just saying this in this moment, but there's, there's maybe a vaguely funny thing that Paula and I do have kind of similar, like very broad strokes, aesthetic looks. So possibly if it's going to be my genes, they're not going to be, wildly far from what she looks like mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. if that makes any sense but yes. but, um, but but no I think we actually did we, we definitely passed on that being a concern quite early what we've been going for mostly is is um is trying to decipher looks and then mm. uh, really trying to think like does this sound like someone who is kind you know because we have to consider our child could meet this person at 18. So we want that to be something that's going to be as nice as possible and um, not traumatic. So is this someone who seems kind? Is this someone who seems like maybe they share similar values to we to, to what we have? Um, and and, and then also for us, you know, it, does this person seem like, there's so many themes, but does this person seem like they might be... Um, LGBT friendly you know mm-hmm. because of course that feels like a really big concern it would be it would be a nightmare for me to have someone at that point in my child's life be like I can't believe you were raised by two women you know yeah um, yeah that would like, be really upsetting really devastating so it's, mm-hmm. so it's kind of just trying to sniff around and figure out you know uh where can we possibly place this person on uh, like on a scale of those things and and kind of go from there um yeah yeah wow that's amazing I mean and tell us a little bit about like how much um it is like what is the cost of getting a sperm donor it's a thousand pounds per 
unit. Oh, wow. Like per little, little, little shot. And let me tell you, for a while, I was imagining that 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 one shot was like a full jizz. It is not. (laughs) it's not it's not they make like 10 samples from one go no way genuinely I was like that is ridiculous oh my gosh super that's the biggest that's the biggest cost for sure for sure oh Um, my gosh and so so you've already gone through a cup is it two one or two IUIs we did, we've done two IUIs. Yeah. Okay. And you used the sp- same sperm donor both, both times. times. Yeah. yeah. And tell um, us, walk us through the, um, that process. Yeah. So it, that, to be honest, is it being a little bit, uh, our process has been a little bit frustrating. We had all of these base preliminary scans and blood tests and everything. Um, which all were like, great, great, great. Everything's great. You know, it was like so um, positive. And I think we went from a place of, of going like, okay, well, we should probably start this process now because it could take a really long time and it could be complicated to getting this really positive feedback of like, you know, um, you're, you know, I had a scan and the doctor was like, you know, this is a textbook uterus. It's just perfect. And oh, I was like, that's what you want to hear. God's well, that is right in that moment. Yeah. Like, yes, it is. Um, yep. But anyway, and and so a, a lot of places before you start IUI will do a high cozy scan, which you've probably talked about a bit, but is mm-hmm. a sort of dye test where they're testing the patency of your fallopian tubes. Um, and this, our first doctor said you know, I don't want to do that test because that test can cause infection and it can actually end up causing blockages where maybe there were none before. So if you've never had an STI, you haven't had any pelvic surgery, there's no reason to assume you would have a blockage. So we're not going to do it. We just jump straight in. And we took that advice and we're like, great. Um, cut to after two unsuccessful IUIs, we got the, the scan done and I have one blocked fallopian tube. Mm. Um, which obviously just takes your IUI chances, which is so tiny anyway, down yeah. even further. Um, so, yeah, so that's kind of what we've done. And, we, and we're now debating, um, do we do another IUI? Do we kind of, you know, three's a charm before we, before we move on to IVF, which obviously is more difficult and invasive and things in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's that's kind of what we're weighing but but you know what is what is sad right now is and of course it's nothing compared to what lots of people are going through but i don't know about in what where you are but the um the fertility clinics are all closed now they're Uh not um doing any more treatments yeah same thing here yeah Yeah. we we were going to start ivf next month and all cycles have been put on hold yeah yeah. It's really yeah. devastating. I mean, it was also, well, I guess it is devastating, but I've been trying to reframe it that like one, it doesn't sound really like it would be a joyful experience to be pregnant right now. <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah. You know? And then two, um, I think that like I had always had just a little bit of 
I was a little bit apprehensive about IVF. Like I wasn't like, let's dive in. Can't wait. Can't wait. Sign me up. Here I am. And so now that decision is lifted from me. Like I do have to wait. So when I'm, when it is time, I will be like, pump me up. Give me the hormones. Pump me up like a chicken. Totally. Yeah. 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 It's hard. It's hard. It's just so complicated. It's like I fully understand that decision and it's the right one. And I'm like, that sucks. You know? Yeah. Totally. Um, totally. So you guys are most likely your next step is going to be IVF at this point. Yeah. Yeah. We may yeah. or may not do one more IUI. You know, it's like, the doctors are saying they're still around like an 18% chance, which is not much lower. They were saying a 25% chance, you know? Yeah. Uh, but it just feels, eh, eh, you know, but, but I think what we've sort of decided is we'll just wait. We'll see what happens. When do they reopen? Like, what is the timeline of that going to ultimately look like? We have no idea. Yeah. Um, and at that point, what is the right decision? Because now is, you know, who knows what it could be. Um, yeah. yeah, but I think we'll probably, we will probably end up doing IVF again. We're so lucky that the NHS, you know, are gonna, are gonna fund that and that they, and cover, they, the same they cover like three rounds of it or something. Yeah. 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 That's they only cover it for you to have one child, which, you know, fair enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Wow. That's incredible. I know. That's so incredible. So, um, I mean, what were people's reactions when you started sharing this? And who, who, yeah, who did you share it with? Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think. Like, we, we definitely did tell some people when we were first. And it's sort of more in really casual, like, not as a big announcement, just that we had started thinking about having a child. And so we'd gone to some doctor appointments and things, you know. And I think for some people, the, the whole experience is just that some people, some people are great and they understand. And some people are like, I just don't even know how to react to this, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and people don't really, they don't have the knowledge um, often. But so I think that first moment, some people thought, oh, this is great. Like Kate and Paul are going to have a baby any second now, you know, like to the point of people being like, are you pregnant? And it was like, no, like all we said was that we had gone to the doctor. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, so that was interesting. And then since then, you know, I think, I think mostly this doesn't feel, and you know, I'm probably in a lucky space for the most part. Um, people don't really understand about IUI. They don't really understand the difference between IUI and IVF for sure. I think people hear about IVF more. So they Mm -hmm. assume uh, that that's what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think if we've had any sort of negative reactions, it's merely just people kind of being like, I don't really know how to respond to this. I think people have sensitivities around fertility generally that they just don't, feel that it's something they can talk about mm-hmm. you know? mm-hmm. um, but we haven't we, we we we've been lucky so far you know we haven't had people going like but this needs a father <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but who will play sports with it 
<laughs> oh my god, Kate. <laughs> so funny we haven't we haven't yet had that I'm sure we will I'm That's sure we'll good. get it somewhere um but no people have been really positive people have been really excited um our families have been great like you know uh I think I think everyone just wants it to happen as do we um and then sometimes that becomes a pressure in itself right yeah. because I I do wonder and you can tell me maybe but but I feel like maybe straight couples have a way in which they can sort of just sneak do it a bit sometimes right yeah yeah um and then once you start well we're having these treatments there's a sense for yourself of like I really wanted to work oh it didn't work and other people then do that as well um so we definitely I think we told a lot more people the first IUI that we did and you know, then we kind of didn't want to again have to have people saying, I'm so sorry. So we were a bit more stealth with the second go round. Yeah. That felt better, I think. Yeah. You know, I think people, I got a lot of mixed, mixed um, reactions from people. Like some people were really excited, you know, and then other people kept um, asking me about it a lot, like more frequently. And I was kind of like, here's, I think I have to like set a little bit of a, a, you know, a boundary that like, if I don't bring it up, it probably is bad news, you know? Totally. Like I definitely had one dear, close, close friend, but you know, she was so supportive in her asking lots of questions. I had to be like, this is not helping because I'm sad right now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you're thinking about it all the time. All, all the time. time. And I then mean, when so somebody else to, yeah. is like also thinking about it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, take me to a different place. Yes. Take me to a different place. Yeah. And then I also got a few people like my one friend who's, um, very much a naturalist, uh, mm. I'll say very natural. Everything's natural and in nature. And um, (laughs) she was like, I am so sorry. She was like about to cry. Like she was so deeply saddened by that. But I was like, I could tell that she was putting her own spin on it in a way because we were actually really excited. We were like, oh, this is a, this is actually like, I mean, there's no, yeah, it's an opportunity and it's a really successful opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so we, we are, we're actually really excited about the possibility, but she was like, sad, Sally. Sad, so sad that you had to do it at all. Yes. Yeah, no, I mean, that kind of thing is crazy. Right. And I I, I I will say in all of this, like possibly that's like one privilege of being a queer person, right? Like, there's no, you know, people can be like confused and I'm not entirely sure how to respond to this situation, but they, they don't, they're not like, Oh, you know? Oh, that felt like shit when she, yeah, when I had like my awful. friend felt worse than I did about it. <laughs> nope. So, yeah. um, yeah. what do you wish you knew 
about all of this before you started this journey? Um, I think I wish I had thought, I wish I had known that nothing is a given. Does that make sense? You know, and I think that is really particular to what our experience has been, which was to have this kind of glowing report. You know, you're young, you're great. Everything is in great condition. Let's go. Um, and then to find out that's just not the case. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you can try so hard to, and, and, you know, we have tried and I do try to hold on to that feeling of, of not knowing what's going to happen and certainly being as pessimistic as possible. But at the end of the day, you just have, you have this knowledge and you have the, um, you have the timeline of it in a really like granular way. And it's so difficult not to sort of wait on your body and sit with your body and wonder about um, every tiny thing that it could or could not be doing. So yeah. um, if, if there was any way that I could have tried to have even a lighter touch than I did have, you know, I yeah. think that would have been super helpful. And what has been the biggest frustration throughout all of this? You know, I think, I think having to do it, I think having to do it through a clinic. I do keep coming back to that, like, and I, and I don't, you know, I think, um, I would love, I would love to even have had the chance to do this naturally, which is literally not possible. Right. So, Mm -hmm. uh, but if there was any way in which our sex life could just result in getting pregnant, like that would be great, but it's been, it's been interesting to kind of go into this process and have to get really specific and granular and medical, um, about all of these things that, that ultimately is great and fine. And this child will be born from love, you know, um, but it's like the root is pretty bureaucratic. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, anything that surprised you the most? I mean, I think, I think, you know, in, in like complete counterpoint to what I just said, there's been a lot about it for us. That's been fun which I didn't mm-hmm. expect, you know, we mm-hmm. we'll like sit down over an evening and go, should we look at some sperm? <laughs> <laughs> we like read the catalog, you know? Um, yeah. but there's, there's been surprising kind of joy to it as well, which is sort of nice. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had a lot of really, really lovely doctors, which is nice. Again, I think that's kind of a nice thing. Like a lot of times if you're going into hospitals, you're going to see doctors, it's probably because something's wrong. Or something's yeah. gone wrong or something bad is happening. You know what I mean? There is yep. there is definitely kind of a hope to fertility treatment that I find really lovely. You know, I feel yeah. like I do get a sense from the nurses who are there, from the doctors, that they like their job. Their job is helping people um, to try to get something that they want. Um, and I find that sort of inspiring to be around sometimes. That's yeah. lovely. That's lovely. Yeah, it is. It's a little bit more rosy, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, the, and then listen, it's like every time you crash from that, it's so much harder as well, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is that feeling of hope, I think, and that feeling of uh, joy and that this is a joyful thing. This is a celebratory thing. Like no one would be doing this if it wasn't something that they really, really wanted. Right. Um, right. You know, I think that's how we should be bringing children into the world, right? Is like 
is this really the choice that's wanted, the decision that's wanted Mm -hmm. um, at this particular moment? Um, So that environment feels kind of grounded in all of that, I think. Yeah, it is sort of like a parenting boot camp in a way. You know, it's like, what are what are the lengths you are willing to go through for this child? You know? Um, Yeah. Do you want it? Do you really want it? Do you want it that much? (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, Did you, so do you have any suggestions for same sex couples looking to start a family? Um, Anything that you kind of wish you knew beforehand? Um. I think it's important. I think it's important to find community and to find, well, I was going to say define queer community. Um, and I do think that's true. I think that it's a very specific thing to go through. And I think it's useful to have, you know, touchstones and people you can um, share with for whom it's not like even tinged with oh, so it's not going to genetically be one of yours. You know, yeah. I think sometimes, even if people don't mean it, that can hover in the background yeah. um, in, in the questions that they ask and that kind of thing. So I think finding queer community around it is really, really vital. Mm-hmm. Um, but also just community generally, you know, I couldn't have been more happy when I met you in San Francisco. Like I had no idea this would be the thing that we ended up talking about. Yeah. No idea, you know, and... I so deeply needed it in that moment. I needed to be able to have that space that could hold all of that um, in a different way than than other people can. So it, it really, I think it depends person to person, but that feels super important. And then yeah. I think, you know, it's just about having so many talks, like there's so much more to talk about and really to work through and find your comfortable place and iron out all the crinkles you know, anything that anyone could feel, um, make sure it's being turned over and, and given its light and given its place and that you've really considered all of these things, because I think you don't want to bring a child into an unconsidered place. That's going to be harder, right? Once that's a reality, that become more difficult. So mm-hmm. that, that feels really important in terms of what we've done. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, I um, I couldn't agree more because I I just started going to a support group for infertility, and that was like such a big step in um in this process for me because you you now have people who are on the same journey doing the yeah. same things and you can bounce things off of each other. Yeah. Like, Oh, well, I tried this. Did you ask them about that? You know, like, did you do yeah. this test? You know? And it was like, wow, I feel so much like there's so much in this process. I can't control, but I can't yeah. control how much education I have. About I understand. It. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what would you like to see shift in the dialogue surrounding fertility, infertility, and trying to conceive? I mean, I guess just, you know what, and I, and again, it's like, I just feel like this is not a conversation I was aware of until I stepped into it, right? And of course, there are so many couples, uh, men and women who have been having these conversations for ages. 
I think yeah. there's still a sense, and maybe I'm wrong. I hope I'm a little bit wrong, but I do think there's still a sense of some taboo around it. You know, yeah. even here I have one straight couple who are they're happily pregnant, another who are really struggling, and there's uh, tensions there and and unsaids and all kinds of things that that feel really complicated. Um, so I wish we could, you know, in all of what I was just saying in terms of the positivity around it, I wish we could just see it as a deeply positive thing, um, a deeply exciting thing, uh, you know, that the possibility of people doing whatever they can to bring a life into the world, I really think means that that is going to be a loved and cared for, nurtured child, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if we could just not have to have it shrouded there is so much sadness around it of course but if we could let that sadness be exactly what you were saying you know personal to the people when it happens and if it happens um Mm -hmm. but not kind of put a a secrecy cloak over things um I think would be great yeah yeah and I I think that there's um I think culturally speaking we all have a difficult time confronting another person's grief you know and so I I think that like there are parts of this roller coaster that can get really low you know really low really low but overall it's it's a ride you know it's a ride and like it's thrilling it's really exciting and how lucky I feel just so lucky because Mm -hmm. I lived in 1920 like, we wouldn't be doing this. We yeah. wouldn't be doing yeah. this. Yeah. It wouldn't be possible. Um, so it it's no, um, absolutely. yeah. But I think what you just said is also super important, right? And it just it does apply to so much more than this. But we just need to be so good about holding space for people's grief and having mm-hmm. it be okay. You know that they're feeling those things that we feel upset, that we feel really sad, really devastated. Um, not having people add to that or contribute to it, but just right. make space for it, you know? Yeah, just let it let it exist. And because yeah. I think some the the problem that happens is when people try to fix it and they yeah. try to yeah. say something they're they try to say something that comes off as a suggestion or a comfort to you, but it's really just to comfort themselves, themselves. in that moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, well, this has been a wonderful conversation, Kate. Ditto, Millie. I am so, thank you so much for sharing your story. And, um, and, you know, all the best of luck. I'm so excited. I am equally excited for you as I am for everybody else on this journey. And I think it's, it's only up from here. Likewise, back at you. <laughs> I am. I mean it. I was so happy to see you and chat about this. So I'm happy to do it here too. Yeah, yeah. All right. We will keep in touch. Definitely. Okay. Have a good day. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Me, Myself, and Millie. Follow us on Instagram at Me, Myself, Millie for more podcast updates. 
If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe and share on social media. A special thanks to my husband, Rowan Brooks, for technical support and Cal Reichenbach, who did all the music you heard in this episode. You can check him out at calzonemusic.com. Thanks, cutie bombs, and see you next week.